0: Welcome to today's episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills.
1: And I'm David Campbell.
0: Today we start uh, a mini-series, I guess, uh, with uh, mayors of successful communities, starting with uh, three-time, three-term mayor Mike Savage, who's done really quite a remarkable job since he took over from the previous mayor, Peter Kelly. Um, during the previous incumbent's uh term there were there were no commercial buildings built in the downtown area. in fact, I think it was twenty years before the first commercial building actually got built in the downtown core, which really reflected the neglect of the urban core in Halifax and I think it was the same for other communities across the across the region so The reason we wanna talk to the mayors of some successful communities that include Halifax, uh, Moncton, and we hope Charlottetown, is to talk about uh, why it's important to have strong municipal leadership um, to ensure success.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we spend a lot of time talking about the provincial level economies. And of course, uh, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and Newfoundland and Labrador have struggled over the past decade plus in terms of GDP growth and population growth. We are seeing green shoots, as you and I have talked about. But if you get down below the provincial level, there are some municipalities that are doing very well. And Halifax struggled for a number of years. It didn't really struggle hard, but it didn't grow to full potential. And yes, in the last four or five years, we've seen Halifax really come alive, GDP growth, population growth. You were telling me how many cranes uh, are in the sky in Halifax. So that's, that's done well. But we'll talk to other... Uh, urban centers or cities as well to see what they what they're up to and I think you're absolutely right it has a lot to do with the urban core the downtown uh, and really seeing that as a locus of growth in the community Uh, population growth but certainly commercial growth and everything else so so I'm excited about this series and starting with Halifax is a really good place to start
0: yeah, so when mayor, uh, Mike was running for mayor, one of the things that he ran on was the need for renewal of the core, urban core, especially in bringing more people to live in the urban core. And uh, as you know, on Halifax, there's really kind of two urban cores on one on each side of the harbor. Uh, if you visit Halifax recently, you can you can know that they're both um, under a significant uh, change. There's a lot more people living in both of those uh, cores. Um I think uh, I think there's actually 37 cranes in Halifax, and as the mayor likes to say, the new official bird of Halifax is the Lebanese crane in tribute to the Lebanese community who are play such a big role in in the development uh, scene in, in in Halifax, and it's really quite remarkable um, what's going on um, as a result of that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of factors that are important to. Uh, growing a community, but having a strong core is fundamental. If you don't have a strong core, um, you really don't have uh, what is needed to be successful.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you also need assets and core economic assets. And Halifax has done a really good job of leveraging its university infrastructure, its growing IT and technology sector. And then just playing that role of urban center for Atlantic Canada, it's got the regional airport, it's got a lot of regional assets, the, re, you know, the, the port is a huge player. Uh, and all of that comes together to, uh, to make it now, I think it's competing with um, you know, the larger centers in Canada, right? I mean, Halifax is a legitimate player when you're talking about Calgary, when you're talking about other large urban centers in Canada, and that's a testament that, to what's been done in the past few years.
0: Yeah, one one of the things that Mike doesn't get recognized for, but we talk a little bit about this, is that he's done an extremely uh, good job at managing the council uh, and actually co-opting them into uh, being team players as opposed to the previous uh, administration, if you will, that was very divided and and talked about very inconsequential things, including cats and um, chickens, I think, was one of the prime topics of the previous council's. But uh, Mike has done a really good job at pulling the team together, uh, talking more about strategic initiatives, um, and I think he's been um, he's been a really optimistic voice for the community. I think people generally like him um, as a leader, and uh, he's made a he's made a difference. He he will deflect, as you'll see in the interview, to his council and other people for the success. But without a strong um, uh, leader at, uh, in the mayor's role, you, you really, um, you really, uh, it makes it a lot harder to have the kind of success that Halifax seems to be having right now. And, you know, I, I I'm going to say this, I, I think Halifax is going to be the city of the future for Canada. I think it's moving in that direction. Um, and it will be good for all of Atlantic Canada if that happens, because it will attract a lot more attention to our region. And, um, you know, um, we need Halifax to be successful for the whole region to be successful. And I think we're we're headed in that direction.
1: Look, I have a theory that mayors are very, very important. I, I have proposed the notion years ago that cities take on the personality of their mayor. If you have a mayor like uh, let's say Brian Murphy in Moncton that's that's brash and bold and confident, then the city over time sort of takes on that persona. If you have a mayor that's kind of shy and reserved, the city kind of takes on that persona. And I've seen this in St. John and Fredericton in Moncton. And I think we're seeing this now in Halifax, that there's sort of a quiet determination. It's not overly flashy. It's somewhat flashy, a little bit flashy. And and of course, you know Halifax better than I do. Uh, But I do think that very much the city is kind of taking on the persona of the mayor. Uh, And I think that's a good thing in this case.
0: I, I I agree, I think he's really um, leading us uh, in a positive direction. So uh, this is a pretty interesting conversation with a pretty interesting guy. One of the things I think might be a new scoop is that he hasn't actually said he won't run again for mayor. I had thought that he indicated this would be his last term. So maybe we got a little scoop here, David.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Always a- aiming to please for the audience. <laughs>
0: So uh, here's my interview with the inimitable Mike Savage. I'm pleased to be joined on today's Insights podcast by the popular three term mayor of Halifax, Mike Savage. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Don, it's, uh, I can see you uh, and also hear you. Good to see you and hear you.
0: Yeah, and thanks for doing this. Uh, let's start with about uh, your career, a little bit about your career. Uh, prior to
2: entering politics, you worked in the private sector. Tell us about that part of your career. Sure thing. Well, I started with, um, I was hired at a fairly young age, probably 24, um, by the Irving organization to run a company called Canard and Halifax, which was an oil company. Before that, I had worked with P&G out of university. They'd recruited me. I went up and lived in Sudbury and, uh, and uh, just outside Toronto for about two years. Uh, but the Irvings hired me after I had, traveled the province with Jim Cowan. He ran for the leadership of the Liberal Party way, way back. And I had the privilege of getting to know Gentleman Jim, who's just a great guy. And um, and then surprisingly, the Irvings approached me and asked me to be, if I was interested in uh, being a sales manager with Canards, and I went through the interview process and I ended up, they, they made me general manager. So I was general manager of Canards for 11 years. We expanded throughout Nova Scotia to 11 different uh, locations. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And from there, I, I uh, ran in the 1997 election. Um, I remember getting a call from Don Mills of CRA telling me it looked like I was going to be okay and probably win. We held all the seats going in, but we all got smoked. Everybody in Nova Scotia, all the liberals lost that election. And I was recruited by uh, Jeff Forbes, who may be a name that people might know, to go to work at Nova Scotia Power. I did there. And then I had the pleasure of working with Mark Surrett in the uh, recruitment business with ray and bernston and then paul martin kind of came down and recruited me to run in the 2004 federal election but i've probably spent more time in business than than politics and it's certainly my mentors have largely been um on the business side of things um, um, that have influenced my career the most
0: well certainly uh, you know working for the irvings is uh, if you if you last with the irvings you're doing a good job as you know they're They're a demanding group of people, but uh, very successful.
2: they were fair, though, Don. I mean, I I remember it's a company where it could take you six months to to order a stapler, but, you know, two days to buy a company. Um, You know, Arthur Irving, who who I think is an amazing guy. Yeah, tough, sure. But they always treated me very fairly and allowed me to treat my people fairly. And they did teach me, you got to stand up for what you think and um, make the case. Don't don't expect that you can just say, I think we should do this and that you'll get the permission to do it without some serious analysis. So uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Great training ground.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what made you interested in running for politics in the first place, Mike?
2: Well, it surprises people when they hear this. Makes my wife still uh, make a funny face that I never thought I had to be elected to enjoy politics. My father and my mother were both very involved in the community. And, uh, of course, my father had been the premier of Nova Scotia, mayor of Dartmouth before that school board, had run twice for Pierre Trudeau, but he really wasn't a politician. He was a social activist uh, slash humanitarian. I got more involved in the nuts and bolts of politics at a younger age, working uh, campaigns uh, for people, um, all of whom were on the liberal side. And so I became a liberal. Um and so i enjoyed politics and i went through the you know i ran provincial campaigns i ran federal campaigns i became the president of the liberal party of nova scotia i had run in 1997 for mr chretien and we lost that election and I, I probably wouldn't have run again for anybody except paul martin and i believed in paul still believe in paul and um, he came down and he made the case to me that you can do more in politics in a month than you can do in business in five years he, he believed that he'd been on both sides um, and so the, the, the opportunity was right for me in 2004, and, um, and so I became a member of parliament.
0: Let's talk about your decision to run for uh, mayor of Halifax. Uh, for full, full disclosure, I was one of the early people encouraging you to run for mayor and lots of good reasons for that. Um, You are the mayor of the largest municipality in in geographic terms in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Canada as a municipality is bigger than the province of Prince Edward Island. It was your dad's uh, government that forced the amalgamation of the four municipalities uh, um, uh, to uh, create uh, today's uh, regional municipality. What, What was your... What was the thinking behind getting involved with such a big min- municipality?
2: Well, uh, besides you badgering me to consider it, um, it was it was largely driven by losing the two thousand and eleven federal election. I uh, um, I lost that election. It was a close election, and it wasn't something that I think we expected to lose, but we did. And I was so determined that I wasn't going to be one of those people who lost an election and then spent the rest of their life trying to get back to where they were. So I said, I'm not going to run federally again. I'm going to go back into business. Um, and I had no interest in municipal politics, really. I'd never really been all that interested. I, I considered the issues not the issues that I wanted to deal with. They were more national or provincial in scope. <clears throat> but as I looked at Halifax in 2011, I really believed it was a city that was underperforming. It was a, an undervalued commodity. And um, that there was something I could do to make a difference. And, and I believe that, you know, the strength that I had, I believed, was that I could provide some leadership to bring people together. It was always the way that I had done things. Um, but beyond that, I saw issues that really mattered in the community that um, were being addressed by some cities and not that much by Halifax. Issues of environment and uh, issues of economic growth, issues of inclusion, And uh, so I started listening to people who were saying, look, um, there may not be anybody better come along. You might do. And of course, at the time, I was um, expecting to run against uh, an incumbent, Mayor Kelly, who uh, certainly had lots of issues, but still had a strong, strong following. And so we put the the team together and and I became very committed to, to the issue of how municipalities can change the world. And. Um, we've seen it in Canada with, you know, Don Iverson and Nahid Nenshi and John Tory and uh, really important leaders, many of whom had been in provincial or federal politics, probably never thought they'd be interested in municipal, but all of a sudden said, this is where the action is. And that's how I felt too.
0: Now, just to get back to the amalgamation for a second, most people were surprised, me included, that uh, the County of Halifax was included in that amalgamation. Um, uh, in your opinion, would it have made it made more sense to leave the former county of Halifax out of the amalgamation?
2: Well, I think, first of all, in the amalgamation, uh, Don, you'll remember that it was spurred on by a lot of things. We were going through a really tough economic time in in, in the world, in Nova Scotia, in the mid-early 90s. <clears throat> Deficits were huge nationally, provincially. Um, costs were running away with things. And uh, there was a number of... of uh, I would say, impetuses for amalgamation, one of which was the Chambers of Commerce, which I think you were involved with at the time. They were all kind of saying, look, we're we're, we're not big enough to be fighting among ourselves and we have to do something. My father was the mayor of Dartmouth initially and, and wasn't keen on it, but when he became premier and looked at the numbers and looked at where we had to go and what we had to do, and particularly looked at how we had these really foolish intersoning fights between Halifax and Dartmouth and Bedford for economic development opportunities um, he said you know what I know it's not going to be all that popular with a lot of people but I think we have to do it and he did it in Kipret and Halifax and I guess Queens County so the question was how big would it be and I think from a provincial point of view if you'd left out the county you know with a a lesser tax base you you would probably see what had happened in many other municipalities since which is that eventually that they just can't sustain themselves is as important as they are, and there are economic opportunities uh, in in the count the old county of Halifax, but, um, you know, to have Halifax, Dartmouth, Bedford, if you zero-based it, you might say that, uh, but I'm, you know, you and I will never probably agree on this one, but I think that together, uh, you know, a, a municipality like ours, a city like ours, has a great benefit to have a beautiful downtown, have great suburban areas like Bedford and Dartmouth and, and many others, And also to have a county exhibition in Middle Muscatabit and the 100 Wild Islands on the Eastern Shore. So um, I think from a provincial point of view, they said, we've got to do this all together. Uh, It doesn't make sense to carve out out the county. And once it's done, it's very difficult. It would be very difficult to change, and I wouldn't support changing. Uh,
0: How difficult is it to manage the expectation of such a diverse municipality, especially between the urban and rural areas, Mike?
2: you're asking all the easy ones today. (laughs) You know what? I think I always tell people the one thing that brings the whole municipality together is the common view that everybody thinks they're getting screwed the most. Um, You know, the, the, the urban areas think there's, you know, subsidizing the, the rural, the rural think they're paying too much for services that they don't get that the rest of the municipality gets the suburban think we're carrying the bag on this. And we're kind of stuck in the middle. I would say this, that, um, so there's a couple of things. One is, what is the mayor's role? And the mayor's role in this for me was to have the same message in Sheet Harbor that you have in downtown Halifax, which is that we have this, we have some gems all over the municipality. We need to work together. And one helps uh, the other. And in my time on council, um, I have seen councillors uh, come together on issues of revitalizing the downtown, of supporting green space, of looking for economic opportunities that, people hadn't seen in rural parts of the municipality. Uh, Certainly when I thought about running for mayor, Don, one of my big thoughts was, how do you do this? I mean, yeah, we are big. We're 5,500 square kilometers. Um, You know, I remember getting elected in October of 2012 and getting sworn in on November the 8th. And the very next day flew to Ottawa for my first big city mayor's meeting. And Jim Watson was hosting it, the mayor of Ottawa. And he put on the board... The, the physical size of Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto. Then he put Ottawa, which engulfed them all because it was 2,500 square kilometres, and I stuck my hand up and said, excuse me. <laughs> you didn't put Halifax on there. And by the way, your board's not big enough. So uh, uh, so it's, it's, it is a challenge, but i got to give councillors, um, you know, credit. Um, folks like David Hensby, um, Steve Stretch to me was a real revelation, a real delight to work with. A rural guy, you know, right from his... Uh, teeth to his toenails, but really supported a lot of really good initiatives across the municipality, and our job is to come together. Yeah, we have to represent individual uh, constituencies, but together, and especially when things are going reasonably well, as they have been, it's a little easier case to make, um, but people have to see the greater good of the whole um, at the end of the day.
0: Well, Mike, uh, you know, um, I was involved in the amalgamation of the four chambers and boards back before the amalgamation of Halifax, uh, and the position of the amalgamated uh, chamber at that time was in support of the amalgamation. Um, we were very surprised to see the county included, and um, it, it it obviously was made it more challenging to unify the community. And it's still still hard to bring it together. But I, I must give you credit. I think you've done a good as good a job as possible to um, present a united front for our community. But it's still, it's still challenging on many fronts, as you know. Wait, um, sure. that's not what we want to talk about so much today. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, both the rural and urban areas feel that they're subsidizing each other. I have friends living in Allen Heights and we, we have great debates over this. It's so much fun. <laughs> what is the truth in terms of the sharing of municipal costs uh, across the, the, the districts?
2: Well, it's not a—it's not rocket science that when you look at densification of either business or people living, that the overall costs to service are lower. We're really the the only order of government that almost defines ourselves by cost of service. You know, when you get your income tax federally, it doesn't say you know six percent is going to you know defense and x percent is going to justice. Um, you know, there's an overall, there's there's a package, there's an envelope. Um, if you look purely financially, then there's two big cash cows in our municipality. One is downtown, and one is one is Burnside. Um, you know, Burnside is a phenomenally successful enterprise. Um, thousands of companies uh, in that in that area, bringing you know tens to thousands of jobs to to the community. And so, from a purely economic point of view, those would be the two economic cash cows. But there is benefit to all sixteen districts in uh, different ways obviously you know if houses are further apart and your job is to pick up the garbage and build the roads and you know you know do all those services the cost per unit is going to be um be higher but i you have to at the end of the day as i do believe that we benefit from each other's strengths and uh you know we subsidize each other's weaknesses as a municipality Uh, but those are the two big cash cows for sure that would be district six and seven
0: Right. Uh, What are the biggest challenges faced by council in managing uh, such a big municipality?
2: So this goes back to me to amalgamation, Don, that that people think about amalgamation largely in terms of um, cost, Um, you know, the cost of politicians, the cost of having, you know, three or four different police forces or fire departments. Um, You know, we had metro authority before we had amalgamation, which was things like buses and stuff like that. but the big advantages to me of amalgamation, which have borne themselves out over time, and not the costs or the number of politicians, as big as they are, it's two things. It's economic development and land use planning. Um, it'd be very hard to densify the core of Halifax um, if, if you didn't have a regional approach to why that was important and why that helped everybody. And on economic development coming together with the Halifax partnership as our economic development arm, um, we no longer sort of fight over where something goes. I mean, there was, was it back in the day, Costco or, or some of those large organizations were coming and Halifax was starting fighting with Dartmouth about who should should get these. And we were kind of eating each other's lunch a little bit. Um, and it makes no sense. In, in the same way as ideally, you'd have a maritime approach to economic development so that we're not fighting with each other. but it's 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 a little more amorphous than at this one central location. The economic engine of Atlantic Canada. We should be working together, I think that's been one of the ways that people don't know it. I don't think, but it's one of the ways that economic development has really helped drive HRM across the board over the last twenty years. Uh, this is uh,
0: a question that I, I meant to ask, and uh, um, and. Uh, this is a good time to ask it, I guess. i I th- always thought that it would be beneficial for the municipality to have a transportation authority that would have full responsibility for all modes of transportation across the um, municipality, buses, ferries, bridges, roads, whatever. Um, do you think that that approach might give us a, a better long-term planning um perspective on how we integrate all those different modes of transportation?
2: It's certainly something that has been talked about. And I think, you know, again, if you started at zero, that's what you would do is you would say, well, have a transportation authority and everything would be completely uh, interlinked. Um, much of that within HRM is, is, uh, you know, within in, within the purview of transportation and public works, which is a large department within HRM. Um, and that you know transit being being considered part of that, and then the bridges, of course, are a provincial agency on which we have members, the council members that sit on that sit on that there isn 't a community in the world there isn 't a city in the world that whose success isn 't going to be largely defined by how do we move people and how do we ship goods and in a city like Halifax, which has the port right in the downtown um, that has a world-class airport that has, you know, ferry bridges um, that has all of these things, how we move people and transport goods um, is going to be hugely important to the future of the city as it has been in the, in the past. So interlocking all of those um, agencies and divisions that touch transportation is really important. I think we have a very good relationship with, with the Halifax Harbor bridges, uh, for example, we now have a very good relationship with the port of halifax um and you know we've we've, we've striven to have that and um folks like uh, hector jakes and uh and others who were on the on the halifax port board have been you know very involved in with us at the city to make sure that we knew what was going on with each other so it's not a bad idea to have that um in, in the absence of having it making sure everybody works together is an important uh component because you can't have a weak link in the chain; then everything breaks.
0: Well, one of the one of the reasons that I supported the idea of having a transportation authority was that it would depoliticize somewhat, at least uh, some of the decision making. <laughs> As you know, transit is a good example of some decisions that were made for the wrong reasons, and uh, it's hard to get around that if it's uh, you know not taken at an arm's length. Um, 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 I guess perspective. Uh, let's move on to another topic. Um, as you know, I was actively involved in the effort to reduce the size of council, and I, there's still, I think, uh, people who are have a hate on for me for that. I advocated for a council with 14 representatives. The, the URB decided to reduce the number, I think it was 24 down to 17, which was obviously um, an improvement. Uh, uh, that prob- probably has made your job somewhat easier, I guess. So you, you need to thank me for making your job easier, um, or at least in part. Do you think there's an opportunity to reduce the current size of council even further?
2: No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, if you go back to just before amalgamation, yeah, we would have had, within the area that's now HRM, we would have had um, four MPs, probably 18 MLAs, and 65 municipal politicians. 65. We now probably have five and a half MPs, 20 or 21, 22 MLAs, and 16 councillors uh, and a mayor. So we're doing pretty well. Now there are some cities um, that, on a per capita basis, have you know many less councillors than we do. There's also cities that I Cape Town is a city I've spent some time with through the World Energy Cities Partnership. They have 221 uh, city councillors. Um, you know, Aberdeen, which we spend time with, with a population probably just over half of ours is, is I think, 49 uh, councillors. Glasgow is 80-some councillors. There's a balance. And, you know, if you reduced it any further, my concern is that you would then end up having to staff up uh, within the offices here. You know, our, our MLA, our, our councillors now, you, you were quite right to say I think it's probably too big. You go back to the city of Dartmouth. The city of Dartmouth had 14 aldermen all the people, I guess, 14, seven wards times two. Uh, we now have 16 plus, uh, you know, plus the mayor. And they weren't all full-time positions, of course, in the old days. Now you've got councillors who represent a great many more people than MLAs do. But MLAs have got staff and they've got research bureaus in their party offices and they have spin doctors and our folks share the only admin support they have. And so they, they, they worked pretty hard. So I think it was a good move to, to move it down. And I think all of us on council would be happy that we don't have 23 or 24 people that get to speak, you know, five minutes and three minutes on every single topic. Um, but I think, uh, I think that the number we have right now stretches them quite a bit. And I don't hear them complaining. But one of the things I was amazed about was the workload they carry. They do have to handle all of this on their own. We had a couple who weren't full time when I got elected. They became full time. And um, it's a challenging and important position. I really admire the work that they do.
0: Uh, Mike, one of the things that is clearly different about you is your style of leadership. Uh, One of the early indications that you would be a different mayor than Peter Kelly were your efforts to focus uh, the council on the bigger, more strategic issues and the work of members of council in a more collaborative manner. In fact, I I remember one early indication for me personally, I think you did a presentation to the chamber of commerce really early in your first mandate, might've been within a month or two. And there were a table full of counselors there and you went out of your way to give them credit in front of a business audience that I don't think Kelly ever did any such thing. And I I turned to a friend of mine and I said, that's the difference that you we were going to see in Mike. He's a much more collaborative person who deflects um, glory and uh, uh, attention to his team, and that you know that that's clearly uh, you know the way that you went about it. That seems to have worked out for the benefit of all. Certainly, a much more cohesive council that has led to much less divisiveness and improved decision making. Can you talk a little bit about your leadership style? Because I think other other communities can learn from what you what you've been able to do during your tenure
2: Well first of all I, I appreciate that um, I don't think I'm smart enough or strong enough to be, uh, to be an autocrat to be a, a dictator um, I've always believed that we work best when we work together, whether it was in business or whether it was uh, you know in community organizations and you you've done all of those um, I just think that that's where decisions get made that are that are that last longer. And I I felt as I started looking at whether I should run for mayor that the fact that we don't have the party label at the municipal level is an opportunity for us to actually look at issues individually. Everybody brings a point of view. And if you asked my staff or probably most people who worked with me in the last uh, eight and a half years, you know what my philosophy is. It would be. Uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of better. And that so much of the world is polarized now and that we need to bring people together around issues. I also think it's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. There aren't many politicians that, including myself, that don't like getting uh, credit. But at the end of the day, I'd rather get something done um, than see something languish because somebody is fighting over whose responsibility uh, it is. I, I really think that... Um, it's a, it's been a it's a pleasure to work with other counselors, and I remember on a number of occasions, if I've had an idea, then I'll go to a counselor who I knew shares that point of view and ask them to bring it forward, and they can champion it, and then uh, that that helps to build uh, coalitions. And we've had some very strong counselors. The year I got elected, uh, Way Mason was elected as well, and uh, you know I've watched Way evolve from uh, somebody who was pretty strident on his points of view to somebody who who listens. He's still way smarter than I am. Uh, who listens and learns and has made real efforts as a downtown Halifax counselor to work with the rural parts of the municipality, recognizing that we all benefit if we get stuff done uh, together. So I, um, I have felt good about that. Um, I've learned from the Bill Karstens and the Russ Walkers, the Steve Adams, some of the guys who were there for, for quite a while. Um, you know, you learn what makes people tick and, and, and the other thing is recognizing you don't win every battle. So Stevie Adams and I used to disagree on a lot of stuff, you know, and he would text me after going through something on council and uh, he'd say, well, you won that one, you bugger. And, uh, you know, I'll get the next one. I said, no, you won't. Um, but, you know, that kind of, you have to be able to laugh at people. And it's one of the things that's missing Don in council now because of COVID is what there's so many new councillors and we're not around a table. And even more importantly, sometimes we're not around a, you know, a, a dinner table at the break and, and, and sharing salty Chinese food and sort of able to look each other in the eye and kind of establish a relationship. I think I'm a relationship-based guy and uh, try to respect everybody for what they bring.
0: No question about that, Mike. Uh, You have presided over the most significant period of development in Halifax in decades. At the last count, I believe there are 37 cranes on the Halifax uh, skyline. You like to refer to the crane as the official bird of Halifax. When you initially ran for mayor, you indicated a need to focus more attention on the urban core of the municipality on both sides of the harbor. Can you tell our listeners why that was so important to you personally?
2: Yeah, I I did. I did. Um, And by the way, I I, I christened it the the Lebanese crane, was the official bird of Halifax. So much of the development was done by... by, uh, The people that you would know, you know, the the Lebanese folks who came here first generation, some second, who've done amazing work. And um, not just Lebanese, but uh, certainly a good chunk of it. And that was, I think I said that at at the uh, Cedar Maple dinner. Anyway, yeah, so a lot of cities went through the same evolutions, which was that in the 60s and the 70s, the downtown started to hollow out because people were chasing parking. People were chasing lower cost. And easier to get to for businesses. Um, my wife's company left Scotia Square and went over to Burnside and everybody liked it because they could park easily. And um, it happened in a lot of communities. Same with residential. We ended up with, you know, uh, communities outside of the core of the city. It was easier to build, cheaper to build. People don't complain when you close a street to build. Um, but you can't let that go on forever. And when I was running for mayor, there was a group called our Our HRM Alliance. Who came together around some principles, and you had people who don't agree on a lot of things. You know, I remember walking the trail with the ATV trails people and the the, the 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 other trails people that didn't want anything to do with ATVs, but they agreed on certain things, which in its simplest form was densify the core, reduce the cost, densify the core, have a beautiful downtown, have corridors to complete communities outside of the core, and protect as much green space as you can because that's part of the uh value proposition of a city and we had targets back then which was we wanted 25 percent of all development in the urban core we were about 15 percent and uh we got it up to where it was around 40 percent for a couple of years and, and it matters because you know when companies come to l- decide where they're going to set up they they like to see a beautiful downtown vibrant core in the city that has amenities that has restaurants that has shops that has interesting things um, and of course it's easier to service, um, uh, buildings that are closer together. And, uh, so that was always the goal was to densify the core, but the bigger goal then was to have these complete communities, protect our green space, protect the environment. And, uh, you may recall, cause you, uh, I was talking with you when I was running the first time and I came up with, you know, what I, what I wanted to see in Halifax. I, I said, I wanted to see a more livable, a more entrepreneurial, and a more inclusive city. And I think on each of those areas, not, you know, through my efforts, but through the collective efforts of the municipality, I think you've seen each of those things. We've taken steps in the right direction, and this challenge is left.
0: Well, Mike, I I recently completed a project for the city of St. John, who are going through their own renaissance at at the moment. And, um, you know, I used Halifax as an example of what is possible uh, in a, seaside city i mean they have a lot of the same opportunity but one of the key things i think that makes a difference and this is a lesson why we wanted to have you on the program uh, is that uh, communities need to learn that if they don't have a strong core with more people living in that core they're not likely to be as successful as they would like to be halifax is a great model for that i don't know how many more people are living in downtown halifax you might know that number but it's the size of a small town like, you know, there's probably several thousand more people than, than five years ago. Right. And what do those people do? Well, they create a, you know, a safe environment. They create uh, economic opportunities for businesses. You know, they make the the whole community come alive and become a, a more of a center of attraction for the whole community. So I think Halifax is doing an amazing job on that. Frankly, uh, look at our waterfront. I like. I I'm so proud of the work that uh, that's being done to turn our waterfront into. I would I would say, if not the best, one of the best on the eastern sea seaboard of uh, North America. And uh, it's just get it gets better yeah. every day, don't you think?
2: Look, let me just tell you a quick story. I, I get to go to lots of conventions back when we used to have them before COVID, um, and I remember being one. I think it was. Something to do with bridges, and Steve Snyder was there. And I remember the the chair of this North American organization took me aside after I spoke, and he said, "We did a little survey, and we think you are the most beautiful waterfront that we've seen." I said, "That's cool. Where are you from?" He said, "San Francisco." I said, yeah. "That's pretty good waterfront." There was somebody there from New Orleans, and um, it was just, and it, so it was very, it was very encouraging. And one of the lessons I think, and this goes to beyond before I was mayor, uh, in large part was. Public investment will spur private investment. So investments in the convention center, the convention center has been one of the great success stories. It often gets maligned as being um, unsuccessful, um, and it's not at all. And I look at uh, Scott Ferguson, Kerry Cousins, and what that is going to represent to Halifax for generations to come, and what it actually did during COVID for rapid tests and now vaccinations, stepping in when it needed to be. Convention center, public library, um, those kind of investments then attract Private investments, and as you know, Scott McRae put two hundred million dollars of private money into Queen's uh, Mark, and um, you know, so it's a combination. Um, a city is only successful if you get private investment, people risking their own money. But they won't risk their own money in a city that doesn't care enough to do its own investments. The the public realm of Argyle Street, as an example, um, I get so many people at conventions that last year when we opened up that, that said, "This is amazing." Um, it attracts people. And so, yeah, we have to, uh, we have to do it. And develop Nova Scotia uh, under Colin McLean, a wonderful wonderful guy, and Jen Angel uh, have been great partners in, in the waterfront in particular. It's evident
0: that the city of Halifax is enjoying a renaissance in terms of population economic growth. The population grew by a little over 9,000 the last year or so, the second highest growth among cities in the country, with the majority of that growth attributed to immigration. The Halifax partnership has a growth uh, target of reaching 550,000 people I believe by 2031 which is an average of 1.7% growth year that's uh, that's pretty spectacular. Why is population growth so important to Halifax Mike?
2: So that's correct. First of all I'd say it's not a Halifax partnership goal, it's a Halifax Regional Municipality council goal with our economic development agency who've done amazing work in Putting these things um, together, population growth does matter, as you will well know. That cities that uh, stagnate die, and we weren't achieving the potential in terms of population growth. And I heard for years we had a great quality of life in H R M. You know, a quality of life doesn't mean much if you don't have a job. Um, if you have a job and you have a great quality of life, it makes a huge difference. And I, I remember talking to somebody who. It was at um, one of the new companies that I was visiting, um, IT companies that have since moved uh, into Bears Lake, I think, but should know the name. Uh, anyway, look, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter, but the, I said to the person, you're from London, yeah. I said, how'd you end up here? He said, well, I, I'm not married. Um, you know, my folks live hours away from me anyway in the UK. So I sat up one day and I said, this is the kind of work I wanna do. He put a few metrics into this thing he put together. And then he said, this is where I wanna live. I wanna live in a place where I can live for $2,000 a month where I can be on a lake in 25. He had a whole bunch, and he put them together and Halifax popped out. Imagine that, like out of, out of nowhere. And so you have to have, um, you have to have population growth. And even more than that is as we, we all talked about, especially after the work that Ray Ivany did on his commission, you need diversity. Um, we need diversity. We, we were not attracting immigrants and they weren't staying if they were coming. We're the home of Pier 21, where for years people came, were welcomed, and then they jumped on a train and they went West. So it was always, and I, I started a thing called the, um, international students, uh, reception, the the beginning of the school year every year. And what I would hear from kids the first year is I want to stay here, but I can't get a job. I want to stay here, but I don't think I can get a job. Now it's the employers that are having a hard time finding, talent. It's turned around a little bit. So it's important. Growth is important. I really believe that uh, if we don't have uh, real growth in the economy, it doesn't allow you to do all the things that you want to do for the people who are already here and to attract more people. You know, the Ivany report called for, I think, 7,000 immigrants a year, and it was a pretty unrealistic target. We're, we're drawing that in Halifax now almost on an annual basis. Um, so, Things can happen if you believe in, believe in your product and believe in your city and respect each other, work together. And of course, so that's why it matters, but it brings other challenges as well, like housing. And so we have an opportunity to work on those because, frankly, because the growth of the city gives us that, uh, ability then to focus on other things. And, uh, so we're moving into that second stage now.
0: The uh, Halifax Partnership is the economic development agency for the city that's supported by both the private and sector and the public sector. I, I was on the chamber, I was chairing the chamber at the time that uh, we proposed this to the four uh, municipalities at the time. In fact, not a lot of people may know this, but the partnership was formed before amalgamation. And I remember presenting to the four mayors and the warden, Randy Ball, and Peter Kelly and Gloria McCluskey and Walter Fitzgerald. And uh, to their credit, uh, they, uh, they understood that we shouldn't be competing against each other, we should be working together. The partnership has just released its most recent Halifax Index. Can you tell us why the partnership model has worked so well in Halifax?
2: Well, first of all, it has, um, and one of the things is leadership. So you go back to the very beginning. I guess it was Michael McDonald back in, uh, in, right. uh, in those days, and guys like Stevie Dempsey, Paul Kent, who was an amazing guy, Ron Hanlon. I don't know if you knew Ron, uh, mm-hmm. but I get—I came to love Ron Hanlon. Um, there's a guy that made a ton of money in business and, and around the world, came back home and took this job. Um, I don't think he ever even submitted a receipt. I remember being with an airport with him one time and he pulled out his wallet and it looked like George Costanza's wallet. It was so full of receipts. It was popping out of his pants. He says, I don't really submit those dedication. And Wendy Luther has taken it to a whole new level uh, as the CEO. So leadership is really important. People like Nancy Phillips, who I work closely with in terms of, you know, foreign direct investment and, and, and the sell Halifax program. But it is investor led. And it was one of the first to be investor-led. So the model was that, yeah, the city puts money into it. Every now and then the province supports it um, as well, particularly on projects. We work with ECOA. Um, but it is those private sector uh, investors uh, who help to drive it and make sure that, that it is actually focused on business. We, we don't, we don't, we're not the ones who provide subsidies to companies to, to come here. Um, but we advocate on behalf of, of business. We are a kind of a gatekeeper for, for businesses. I can't tell you how often in the last, even the last few months, I've been asked to meet new businesses who are coming to Halifax, some of whom have never been here yet, some of the leaders. I'm talking to people in, in, in Pakistan and in uh, Turkey and Ireland who have yet to come to Halifax, but have been sold on Halifax. And I get to talk to them about job fairs and things like that with wendy luther or with nancy or with you know uh miriam zittner who was heading up the uh, innovation center um it, it's been very successful and it's successful because it's got a private sector nose it's led by the private sector um you know the the ron lesperances the cory bells um, we've always had great support from some of the large companies um but uh it knows it's it, it knows its place um and that we don't we work very closely now with NSBI. I don't, I'm not sure, Don, that that all the business development agencies worked as closely as they should over the years. Right now, there's a very tight relationship between NSBI, uh, the partnership, the Chamber of Commerce, the business improvement districts, Discover, Halifax, Tourism, Nova Scotia, um, develop. There's, there's a very good congruence, and I think that that makes a big difference. Uh, you know, a common ideal, collaboration, seeing the... Uh, keeping the eyes on the prize. Well, it's
0: a great model for other communities to, to look at and emulate. I know that the new uh, um, Envision agency in St. John's is uh, kind of in the same model, which is great to see. And, um, and hopefully more communities will understand the benefit of the Halifax uh, partnership model.
2: Uh, well, even I'm, I'm happy to go on the road, Don. I'm happy to go on the road and talk about it.
0: Great. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that that happens because I'm I'm I really want to uh, promote this as a way of doing economic development. As you know, I recently wrote a column on what we get for economic development uh, money in this region. I think we spend over a billion dollars, a lot of agencies and not a lot of accountability. The one good thing about uh, that I like a lot about the Halifax Partnership is the fact that there's measurement and metrics. Uh, about uh, progress against some big goals. Uh, even during the pandemic, Halifax continued to attract new companies to our city. I forget the number, you you know the number, but what is it about Halifax that is so attractive to these companies, even during a pandemic?
2: Well, originally it was 12, then it was 15. 17 was the last official number that I heard of new companies. I think it's higher than that. Um, so a couple of things. One is the rise of the mid-level cities that, that, um, the cost of housing, um, the ease of transportation are big factors for people, the quality of life companies tend to set up. And now, of course, the mobility of the workforce, right? And we don't really know yet in terms of the impacts of COVID, what, what, uh, you know, how mobility of workforce is going to go. Are people going to return to offices? If they don't, that's a whole new other issue for us, which is we built a downtown that uh, needs to have, uh, people in, in offices. Uh, but the mid-level cities is important. Um, and we, we've t- the biggest thing for Halifax, the biggest competitive advantage we have is talent. We have got seven universities here and a very strong, well-led community college as well uh, that is producing talent. Uh, and that's the first thing people look for. So our value proposition for Halifax has been uh, TLC, uh, talent, location, cost, and now innovation. We've added on to that. And I think those are things that, uh, you know, that, that that matter to people. And we probably need to add a fifth letter, which is S, which is safety. And the fact that we've managed through this pandemic, uh, even with a, you know, an upward tick in the third wave, um, we have by and large managed our, our way through this uh, pandemic. And hopefully businesses will see the benefit of that in the coming months. And hopefully people will get off their wallets and get out and spent their saved up uh, um money uh, to support the local economy who didn't get through this as well as they did. But those are all big things. So, and and when I talk to companies, CEOs, as I say, Don, even people who I have, who have never been to Halifax physically, they're impressed by as much as anything, the talent. They're also impressed by our international outlook and the fact that we welcome people from around the world. You know, uh, Trump as president uh, made people look at other places to do business. Places that welcomed immigrants that made them uh, a part of the community, um, and I, I also believe, and you, can, you know, say I'm wildly optimistic on this, but I hear a lot from people that they're impressed with our approach to uh, diversity and uh, protection of environment and mitigation of climate change. That we take it seriously. That we don't deny the science on that either. So, I think all of those things make Halifax pretty uh, impressive. I saw another survey this week about. Halifax and Vancouver are going to be the two big successful uh, Canadian cities coming out of COVID um, for those reasons. Um, and it's funny because for a long time, I'd go to those chamber events and we had to try to convince people that Halifax was as good as it could be. Um, so we would I, I remember the first time we were top three growth city because we were way down the list in 2011. All of a sudden we were third and I touted that like crazy. And they did a recalculation, we were fifth or something. But now people know that we we were top two last year behind uh, Oshawa in terms of, you know, the growth of the labour force. We were number one in Canada from January to January, not only in percentage, but in absolute numbers. When Canada shed 850,000 jobs, we went up by 4,700. Um, so, it you know, I think that people look for mid-sized cities with a good quality of life that have talent Um, And I think the collaboration, the Halifax partnership, the other thing I just mentioned on briefly is the Halifax partnership always has a component from the military, which is so important in this community, you know, the base commander or the, or the Admiral. Um, And uh, we have the universities integrally um, involved in, uh, uh, in, in the partnership and all of those things together make a stronger community. With all of, all the success that Halifax uh,
0: has, uh, it, 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 also has some challenges. One of the challenges associated with rapid population growth is the availability of housing in general and affordable housing in particular. I know this is of special interest to you, Mike. The current vacancy rate, I think, is still around 1% or a little bit higher than that. And housing prices are clearly soaring. The the housing market is having trouble keeping up with demand. I think last year, uh, by the Halifax Index, we had a 1,000 um, you know, single unit houses built in the city, it's probably not enough. Uh, it's a similar problem faced by other um, cities in the region like Charlottetown and, and Moncton with their own high population growth. Can you tell us about the initiative that the municipality is undertaking to address this issue? And I know it's not all your responsibility, but there are some, some things that the municipality can do.
2: Yeah, so, you know, officially, housing is not under the mandate of municipalities in Nova Scotia, as it is in Toronto, BC, and places like that. Um, I always tell people that when it comes to housing, the feds have the money, the province has the responsibility, but the cities have the challenge. Uh, A lot of those challenges reside in the city. And as we grow, it has created more opportunities for more people, but it hasn't created opportunities for everybody. And so as a city, we've been very active and this goes back to Jen Watts, my first term on council, Wayne Mason, um, you know, Mancini and other members, a a lot of members I could mention on um, council who have said, we've got to take a more active role. How can we help? So we can help, for example, by taking surplus land and giving it to not-for-profit housing as we did last fall um, in Dartmouth North. We can help by applying for the right to waive our development fees and permitting fees for -for not-for-profit housing. Um, You know, we can help by looking at the impact of Airbnb on housing. And, um, you know, is there a regulation around Airbnbs that would mean that more people are living in units full-time who need them than part-time? We don't want to stop the sharing economy, but there are different cities that managed it in different ways. And then in terms of planning, you know, we, we have a very good planning department. We added 10 people to our planning department this year so that we can better handle the requests that are coming in because it goes to the issue of the individual who's trying to get housing and then the, the issue of supply we can really touch largely the supply issue by saying you know are we working quickly and effectively uh, to provide uh, the housing options and, and working with the private sector who in my view have a sincere desire to help in that issue as well because it's we have the people who are really on the margins now who are really suffering and we all have a responsibility to work with them Through the Department of Community Services, we're going to work with them, um, you know, to to deal on those issues. But then there's, you know, when there's 10,000 new people come into the community, they got to live somewhere. And, you know, I hear from people, you're approving units that the the lowest income people can't live in. Well, that's true, but every unit that you provide frees up another unit along the, the spectrum of housing. Um, and we need a whole bunch of different houses. We need. It, it's in our interest to have people living in a place where they can get on a bus and go to work instead of having to have two cars. It's in our interest to have people living in communities where there's already an infrastructure in place for water and transit and garbage and all those things. And it's worth it to us to 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 incent those uh, those types of measures. Um, at the partnership we you mentioned before, we have three different mayors economic roundtable tables. One is on housing. One is on um, uh, Transit, you know, how do we how do we deal with the transit? One is on the green economy; they all kind of go hand in hand. But yes, I think we have a real challenge in housing. We're a rental city more than any other major city in Canada. The percentage of rentals versus condo, for example, we're we're rental, um, and I think we can work with all of the partners and come up with solutions. And this city is prepared to to do its part, um, even in an area that officially isn't really our mandate. We're working more closely together with the province than uh, than we ever have. And I think it's, it's, it's the challenge of the day, for sure.
0: Mike, just a couple other questions. Um, the, re- the redevelopment of the Cogswell interchange is scheduled to start, I believe, later this year. That's a big opportunity for the city. Can you talk about the significance of this redevelopment for Halifax?
2: Sure. Um, when did you start in business, Don? I uh, started
0: my business in 1978, Mike, <laughs> a long time yeah. ago. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you
2: were just a little kid. I was. Uh, if you go back to the 70s, the 60s and the 70s, Halifax was changing, and like all cities were. And there was a plan, as, uh, um, as you'll know, to put in this modern, new concrete roadway and it was going to sweep all the way down the harbour out towards where you know, Pier 21 is, just like they did in Toronto with the was it the Gardner and, and other places. And I think some very wise people back in the day said, hang on, we're going to lose historic properties. We're going to lose our ability to, to do things on the waterfront. And so it sort of stopped there. But Cogswell was built. And what it did inadvertently was it divided the city into sort of the north end and the south end. And it was really a time when everything in the city was built for cars. So for a long time, people thought, you know what, we can reclaim that land. It's I think 16 to 20 acres. If we could reclaim that, put some kind of grid back in, put in transit, put in some green space, put in some housing, um, this could really be a viable functional part of the city. It's not cheap to tear down all that concrete. And so it's one of the things I talked about when I ran and we took it on in the first term, um, got council to support a plan to do something there that would really increase the vibrancy um, of the city and take it from being almost a black hole and, uh, and reconnect things. And so uh, we're at that place now where we're looking at, it's been a long process because it's a big project. And we've learned from, for example, Argyle Street, the redevelopment of Argyle Street and other areas that you got to be very cautious that you don't kill businesses um, in, in, in the process of trying to revitalize business. So we have to work, in this case, with the Marriott Hotel, with Baton Rouge, with Historic Properties, with everybody, and do it in a way that makes sense and in a way that respects the modernity of the, of the city. So bit by bit, it's been well led in the city by, uh, by uh, our folks who have uh, Donna Davis and, and Spinelli, and we've had good leadership from uh, Richard Butts and now particularly with Jacques Dubé. Get it to the point that we think that we can rebuild that with the private sector, uh, put in housing that will be, I think, quite uh, desired, including some affordable housing, and um, and create a vibrant part of the city that uh, that I think will excite people. Well, I think everybody's
0: looking forward to seeing how that uh, that progresses, uh, Mike. Uh, just uh, this is a question that I have to ask you. you you gave the indication. I might be mistaken that uh, that this is your last term as mayor. I hope that that's not true. Uh, do you have any interest in becoming premier of the province and following in your father's footsteps, or do you have other aspirations, Mike? This is the well, reveal. This is the reveal, reveal moment.
2: Look, a year <laughs> ago, I was uh, a year ago, I was visiting with my buddy Roger Kuzner up on the Myra, and I got a text from the Premier that he was about to announce he was stepping down. He wanted to give me a heads up because um, he knew I'd get some calls. I had decided a couple of years ago that I had reached the point past which I would not be interested in um, provincial politics. Uh, And and frankly, the only thing that would have interested me was Premier. Um, But I think it's a, personally believe it's a younger person's game uh, now. Um, For me, it didn't make sense. Uh, It's not something I'm interested in Doing, I, I don't see a return to any kind of partisan politics uh, for me. Um, first of all, I didn't think Stephen. I'm glad he resigned, but I retired. But I didn't think I, I wished he hadn't. I thought he was doing a good job as the premier of the province of Nova Scotia. Uh, I think he could have won again. Um, but I'm I'm always glad when I see people get out on their own terms, and he deserves that. Um, but you know, Stephen served you know two terms as as premier and he's younger than i am so i just didn't see myself as the new blood that uh, that the party was uh, looking for i really enjoy what i do as mayor i haven't said i wouldn't run again but then you know when i ran the first time if you told me i'd be mayor for three terms i would have told you you were you were crazy because i one of the things i thought about peter kelly was that he has he had been there an awful long time um i don't believe in term limits other than those imposed by spouse uh, but I do think you have to figure out what the best thing for you is. And there's other things I want to do. I don't want to die in office. There's two things I said when I first got elected as a, in the House of Commons, Don, was I don't want to leave in a coffin. I don't want to leave in handcuffs. Those are the two ways I don't want to leave politics. <laughs> so far, you know, we're doing well. And last year when I sat on Roger Kuzner's dock and the Premier announced he was leaving, Roger leaned over to my son and he said, what do you think about this Crazy ass here, becoming premier, and my son, who was 21, said, uh, "I don't think he should even run for mayor again. He he hasn't embarrassed us too bad yet. He should get out while he can." Um, <laughs> and I'm always conscious because of the fact that my father was premier when I was in my 30s. Uh, I know the stress it puts on a on a family. So, no, I I want to do something else. I'd like to get back into business or, or do something uh, substantial before I completely uh, retire. Um, you know, that's just the way it is, right? So you've sold your interest in your business and you're still doing productive stuff. So I don't see why I can't do the same thing.
0: Well, Mike, I, you know, I don't like the word retire. I like the word repurposed in life. So there you go. go (laughs) Uh, Finally, you started your own uh, podcast uh, called Mike Drop. What the, just uh, what what was behind that uh, decision?
2: Well, it started with the campaign last year when we were running for mayor. We couldn't get out to events and we were sitting thinking, you know, how do we reach a few people? And we came up with this idea. Back then we called it open mic. Um, and I enjoyed that talking to folks like you do. It's kind of a cool thing. The time goes by pretty quickly if if you've got interesting guests. And, uh, so we did it during the campaign and we decided to bring it back and it gives us a chance to talk to, um, you know, different people on important issues. Last one we had was with Derek of the Wanderers, who have done a great, great job in the city of uh, uh, Halifax and the province of Nova Scotia. Um, talked to Sarah Napier, lots of people that you would know. Um, Rob Somerby-Murray and Don Bureau. And it just gives me a chance to talk to people about stuff that I find interesting and I hope other people find interesting. And similar to what you guys are doing, um, you know, you hope that people find it interesting enough to tune in once or twice. I, I really enjoy it. Well,
0: Mike, uh, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. I I just want to say on a personal note that, um, you know, I've lived in the city a long time um, and uh, I would say that you're the most consequential mayor that we've had. Uh, It's through your leadership that we've, and and you don't take personal credit for it, I know, but it's through your leadership that we've seen the kind of transformation that that has happened over the last decade or so. And, um, you know, prior to you becoming mayor, we went through a period of 20 years where there was not a single commercial building built in the downtown core. And now look at us. And so like, whether or not you want to take that credit, you deserve credit for a lot of that. And uh, I very much appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, come on the podcast, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, give uh, some ideas to other communities and what they need to do to be, become more successful uh, in their own right. So thanks again.
2: It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to the arthritis dinner, hopefully this fall with uh, the Mills Brothers coming oh, up, no, raise I, a bunch of money for the arthritis. Yeah,
0: yeah actually, it's uh, we're going to do it in uh, in March now uh, because it's just too oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and we're looking forward to you roasting us in a nice way, I hope. <laughs>
2: Well, it's a target-rich environment. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Thanks,
0: Mike. You've been listening to the latest episode of Insights on the Huddle Podcast Network, hosted by Don Mills and David Campbell. Mark Legere and Sharice Sletson helped produce this episode. You can subscribe by searching for Huddle Insights on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And we care about what you think, so please give the show a rating and a review. Don and David will be back again with another episode next week.